here. Okay. So today we are going to be looking at mystery um, and then we're going to look a little bit at monotheism, but I ran out of space. So um, a lot of this is going to be uh, on the computer. But uh, so we're going to start with mystery um, because basically uh, I don't really know what I want to do next week. I think uh, what we're going to look at is natural theology, but uh, I was considering looking at the Trinity. Um, somewhat, but I think we're going to stick with uh, natural theology because that goes along with apologetics. And we'll consider the Trinity um, in a separate session. So mystery, remember when we were looking at contradiction, the law of uh, contradiction, um, and we, we introduced contradiction, we introduced a paradox, which remember is basically, uh, it seems like a contradiction, but it's not. And it's just, you know, it's hard to understand or, you know, it, it's, well, uh, it's basically something that looks like a contradiction, but isn't a co contradiction. Antinomy is something I forgot. I mentioned it in the beginning of that session, but I forgot to uh, get back to. Uh, the anti means against, and the noma means law. So this is more proper, uh, but the, the thing is, so this is closer to uh, a contradiction. It means against, the, against law. So this comes from the Latin, that comes from the Greek. Now, what kind of muddies the water a little bit is, as as Churchill said, you know, um, the the English and the Americans are, you know, two people divided by a common language. And I love that line because in England, in Britain, they use antinomy as a synonym really for paradox, where historically it's really meant it's really a synonym for contradiction. So if you look in the dictionary, they're probably get, because, you know, the lexicographers do use etymology, so they use the origin of the words, but they also look at the common usage. So even, you know, even if there's a word that's, uh, you know, mistakenly used, if it's commonly mistakenly used, it's still going to be part of the definition. So if you look at, you know, at the dictionary, you're going to see kind of both sides of it. But again, historically, it's uh, closer to contradiction. Now, so again, we're really going to be looking at mystery, though, because we kind of looked at those. Um, and mystery and paradox are kind of similar, but again, a paradox is really something where you're limited as to your capacity to know it, no matter how much data you're given. Okay, where a mystery... So a mystery, first of all, so what I'll say about the Bible is that it definitely has no contradictions. No contradictions. It has many paradoxes, and it has many mysteries. In fact, one of Paul's favorite words is mystery. You see it all over the Bible, Ephesians 3, uh, because he talked, but the way he uses it is really uh, what was once concealed, what, what was once not known, what was once hidden, so to speak, is now revealed. Um, in fact, well, we'll get to that later. Um, so, but one commonality of all of these is that they're all unintelligible. Okay, so. So when you hear contradiction, like if I say this pointer isn't a pointer, what does that tell you about the pointer? Isn't that real? No, it just doesn't tell you anything. That's a nonsense statement. It's a contradiction. It doesn't tell, it doesn't tell you anything about the pointer if the pointer is and isn't at the same time in the same relationship. Um, but uh, um, so I, I don't I can't tell you anything about the pointer pointer with the contradiction. But if, you know, when, when we're studying all these, sometimes they can seem esoteric and sometimes kind of difficult to understand. But with more data, with more information, that what was once a mystery, what was once hidden, 
becomes revealed. But at the beginning, it's hard to understand, right? And so a lot of people, when they hear profound speakers, it'll be a contradiction. But like there's, there's this one professor who had said something effective. Uh, he was lecturing. He says, uh, uh, God is neither personal or impersonal, but he's the ground of personality. And a student stood up and rose his hand and he said, Professor, doctor, you know, is the, is the ground of personality person or personal or impersonal? And he got all upset because it has to be one of them. It, it, you know, impersonal negates anything to do with personality. So it has to be one of them. But that's, so that's a contradiction in terms. But people will hear that and they'll be like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, I can't understand that. I can't understand, you know, I don't, I don't have the capacity, but he obviously does. He's so brilliant. He's so genius. So it's very mysterious. You know, this, like, you know, this pointer is not a pointer. You know, somebody will just assume that's a mystery. I can't understand it, but maybe with more data. So both of those, you see the point of contact with them? They're both unintelligible, but one is always going to be nonsense. No matter if you, you know, you consider the pointer not a pointer tomorrow, the next day, or forever, it will never make sense. Whereas a mystery the more, again, the more information you're given, the more uh, 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 it's revealed. So what, uh, the, what um, theologians have uh, kind of seen the, uh, in, in the Bible, especially, especially with mysteries, but in, so, in particular the Trinity, like, I've, like we've mentioned before, the Trinity actually isn't spelled out in the Bible. There's no word Trinity, what theologians in the early church and, and, and scholars in the early church were considering is the, is the revelation of the Trinity, you know, especially in the New Testament where it says the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're all God. And so how do we see them as, as a unity, as, as a union? And we'll get to that. Um, but so what, what, they call, what they call, especially the mysteries being revealed, is called pro progressive revelation. Now this doesn't mean, it's not, it's not a corrective. In other words, when the New Testament comes and they're, and they're talking about the fulfillment of the Old Testament, it's not correcting any of the information that was, that's in the Old Testament. It's correcting a lot of misunderstandings about the Old Testament, but it's not correcting, it's adding to. It's, it's giving you more information, more data that, which uh, uh, wasn't there. It's actually an expansion of the revelation. Uh, so like, um, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. However, uh, <laughs> I was having a conversation with uh, with somebody the other day, and 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 somebody I really care about, um, and he was wondering, you know, he uh, he, he really likes uh, studying physics, and he was wondering basically if we were all living in a simulation, if this if this whole thing is a simulation. We were we were talking about, and I asked him basically, you know, what would be the difference? You know, what would be the significant significant difference? between living in a simulation and reality. I mean, you're still experiencing the world as real, so what, what's the difference? And he, got, he went on and on about this, this stuff, and he's into quantum physics. Now, quantum physics, I don't want to spend too much time here, but it's almost like a god in physics. <laughs> they, they take the information from physics and they extract from that theories and different uh, uh, postulates and stuff, but he, he was explaining one that really couldn't be verified and it couldn't be falsified. And remember, when we looked at the analogical use of language, and so I basically said that there's no need to even talk about that. You know, I mean, that's, there's no conception. I mean, there's no conversation to be had. And 
it's difficult to argue against a point without the other person taking it personally. You know, and so what he thought I was saying was, you know, what you're saying isn't important and I don't, you know, care about it. So we have to be careful about how we approach these things. Um, but ultimately... Um, is it because it, faith is personal? I, well, I, don't, I think faith is personal insofar as the true faith is differently experienced with everybody. But right. there's, you know, real faith and there's uh, uh, not real faith. Um, but really, I mean, it's especially in, uh, physics. So there's still a lot of mysteries even in the world, uh, where, you know, the, so mysteries don't about, we're going to skip, we're going to go back, but, uh, we're going to skip down to here. So mysteries don't invalidate ideas. So the, they're still, scientists are still trying to determine what gravity is not like you know, what it does, but what is it? Mm -hmm. And even the nature of motion and time. Mm -hmm. Time is an incredible thing. Uh, read Augustine's chapter 11. It's good stuff. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Uh, like, so um, I have very limited medical knowledge. Very limited medical knowledge. So if I get a headache, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some ibuprofen. And basically, if that doesn't work, or if I have a stomach ache, I'll take some stomach medicine, and if that doesn't work, basically I'm going to see a doctor because I've exhausted all of my medical, uh, <laughs> you know, knowledge, which didn't take long. Um, so, so the there are these, so different people have different measures of uh, mystery, so to speak. You know, uh, a doctor, a surgeon, it, it has far less mysteries, you know, in, involving uh, uh, medicine than than definitely I do. Um, so, going back to the Trinity. So, remember, we were talking about how the Trinity was not a contradiction. Because, remember, a contradiction, the basic formula is A cannot equal A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship, right? And what, we were, and what we had discussed was the doctrine of the Trinity says that God is one in essence or substance or being, and he's three in person, right? And so we talked about how if, you know, we were to say... He's one in essence and three in essence. That's a contradiction. And if he's three, if he's one in person and three in person, that's a contradiction. But we say he's one in A and three in B. Okay, so he's one one way and he's three another way. Um, so it's what we'll, what we'll be uh, um, accused of is uh, believing in tritheism or uh, you know tritheism, belief in three gods, where we don't believe in three gods. We believe in three persons in one God. Now, the Trinity, though, so even when we talk about the Trinity, even when we have our series on on the Trinity, that's not that's never going to be exhaustive. I'm not going to be able to explain. I, I can't understand. I can't fully comprehend the, 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 the awesome, incredible nature of who God is, and especially in, in a, a tri-unity, which is basically where we get the word Trinity, I don't have the capacity to fully understand that, and I probably never will. Remember in First Corinthians, Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter, where you know, uh, you know, then we will know just as we are full. We will fully know just as we are known, right? Uh, now that doesn't mean we're gonna know everything. We don't become gods, okay? So there will still be an element of mystery, uh, in even in heaven. Now our comprehension and our ability to understand and our understanding. Will will have a quantum leap. It will it will uh, it will increase incredibly, 
but it won't be exhaustive. Um, so, we, again, we talk about the triunity, which is really the trinity. And the Old Testament really has hints of this. And we'll look at that when we look at monotheism. Um, so, it, you know, we'll see that it's not as obvious um, in, as in the New Testament. But remember, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't immediately clear that when the Christ came, when the Messiah came, that he was going to start a church. You know, basically they had their idea was that it was going to be a geopolitical warrior who destroyed all their enemies and reigned and ruled on earth. Remember, we, we looked at that. We talked about that. So the Old Testament has some hints in it. But then in the New, New Testament, it's revealed. And we'll end with uh, what uh, Augustine said about that. Um, so, yeah, we have limited conception. I pretty much already told that. Um, so we'll still be creatures in heaven. We won't be gods. So that, anyway. So in 451, uh, the Council of Chalcedon was talking about uh, the nature of Christ, and we briefly talked about this. Uh, so that's where they said Christ is vera homo and vera Deus, truly man and truly God. Now this was answering a bunch of heresies back then, which we'll explore later. Um, but so, and what they said was that this nature is distinct but perfectly united with each other not to be confused or mixed, separated or divided. Now this is, it's still left a mystery. What they're telling you is what this nature is not. So it's distinct, but perfectly united, and it's not to be confused or mixed, neither separated or divided. Other than that, they still leave it to future consideration. And people, you know, there, there have been increased revelations of, 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 of considering the Trinity, which we will uh, consider when we, when we look at it um, uh, more you know, fully. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we cannot know it uh, exhaustively. In uh, systematic theology, in uh, really the introduction of systematic theology, uh, they talk about the, comprehensive, the incomprehensibility of God. And so, there's our Latin for today. Uh, so, it's finitum non capax infinitum. The finite cannot contain or grasp the infinite. This actually we'll look at too when we talk about the Lord's Supper because John Calvin came up with this and as far as we briefly discussed transubstantiation. Remember in the Lord's Supper with the Catholics and the Lutherans uh, believe that you know Christ truly is the bread and, and, and the body. So the bread becomes the body kind of a thing and the wine becomes his blood and you know most reformers reject that, and that's what uh, that's what Calvin was doing. Luther actually argued and basically took the non out, and we'll look at that some other time. So remember omniscience too. When we were we were considering that, I don't know what I don't know what all knowledge is. I, I'm sorry, I actually did uh, omnipotent when we considered it, but omniscience is all knowledge, <laughs> and I don't know what that looks like. I know I, I've I've seen knowledge. I know what knowledge is. I've seen simple knowledge, very basic knowledge, and I've seen great knowledge. Great capacity of knowledge. I've never seen all knowledge, but at least these links, remember, going back to the analogical use of language, it, at least these links, I can imagine it, not exhaustively again, but uh, at least to where um, we can comprehend them somewhat. Sorry, going back to mystery before we end it. So here's the Greek, uh, it's musterion, and there's uh, the Greek. Now, we're going to monotheism. All right, so again, going back to the Trinity, and we will look at the Trinity again more, more as we go along. So we're really doing two studies today to lead into natural theology, and then and we'll break down the, this as we apply it in future sessions. 
So first, uh, monotheism was rare in the ancient world. Uh, it's in particular how the Hebrews uh, approached it. So Israel. Uh, a lot, many people think the Egyptians were the first uh, monotheists because they believed, they uh, worshipped Ra or the sun god. Uh, and they well, we'll get to that. Um, so in, in the 19th century, in the early 19th century, especially following uh, the, uh, the theory of evolution, which had to do with biology, but evolution became the buzzword like in all the studies and all the sciences. Everybody, everything was uh, evolutional. Uh, everything was evolutionary. Um, remember, we discussed uh, Hegel's dialectic, uh, where uh, the, the, the span of history, all of history is really taken into, you, take a, you have a thesis, and which automatically has an antithesis, bring these together, it's, you form a synthesis, which forms a thesis, which spawns an antithesis, you bring those together, it's a synthesis, which, you know, is a thesis, which spawns an antithesis, you bring those together, it's a synthesis, and so he's just saying the history is down through the ages, that's what it is. Um, in fact, that's what spawned uh, social Darwinism, or communism, mm -hmm. socialism, where you know, it's a classless society. So out of this vacuum, though, became, came uh, what's known as the religious historical school. And what they were saying, basically, um, was that religions evolved historically from the simple to the complex. And, and so, and they're saying, basically, all religions develop in similar patterns. They begin with animism, which is basically um, kind of living souls living in inanimate objects where you know, rocks are filled with souls and spirits, or trees are filled with souls and spirits, and this kind of a thing. Uh, because one of the things they did in order to uh, study, you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, one of the ways they prove that this is the way it is, that this evolution is kind of the way it is, they would go to primitive uh, outposts in the world, you know, primitive uh, areas, and they are still practicing animism. And so they just assume that must have been so. Anyway, the way they see uh, the the evolution of of uh, uh, theology, in particular monotheism, begins with animism. So that's again the living souls. Um, poly then it goes to polytheism, which is the belief in many gods. I mean, think about uh, Rome. Think about Greece with the, you know the mythology of those gods, um, which then turns into, and then this is kind of a this is kind of a happy middle between polytheism. And monotheism. It's called henotheism. Henotheism, so heno is actually another Greek word for one. It's different than mono, but basically what this is, is that each nation or each people have a God. And, and you see that actually in the Old Testament, you know, where, where the God of Israel is going up against the God of uh, the Philistines, Dagon, or, and, and they're going up against the Canaanites, Baal. And so it's really a, you know, a conflict of these gods uh, kind of a thing. Um, and then that would develop into uh, monotheism. Um, in fact, so they, they didn't see, they, they believed that monotheism actually was a later development even in the scriptures. So we'll, we'll look at uh, Genesis 1 here in a second, but, but even conservative uh, scholars of this school of thought uh, even conservatives thought that maybe maybe it started with Abraham, you know. But even then, people would think like uh, Abraham is a meeting with, the angel, with three angels by the oaks of Mamre. Okay, it doesn't matter. You can we'll look at that some other time. But the this this scholar was suggesting that 
the angels were the trees. And so that was still animism. He, you know, it's not in the Bible. I mean, these are people stretching so far to make something that is not that way at all. And, and we have to realize that this is, this, is, this is stretching it out and people will do anything to tear down God's word. In fact, it, it, including being absurd. This is absurd. Um, and then some say, you know, it started with Moses. And then some people think that it didn't start until the prophets. And then some people think that it didn't even start until the exile. So it, it's just, yeah. It, it, so, and in, in one of the reasons is in Genesis 1, remember in the creation narrative, uh, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he speaks, um, you know, light into being. And, but, but the word for God in Genesis 1, in the creation narrative, there are two names, Jehovah or Yahweh, which we know, and Elohim. Now, the name Elohim, it, the him at the end in the, in the Hebrew is actually plural. And that's why a lot of Christians will like the idea that, you know, Elohim is in there because, uh, you know, uh, because then you see the Trinity in that. It, but other people would see a plurality of gods because Elohim. However, it's used um, in the singular word form. So it can't be interpreted simply as many gods. So what Moses was doing in Genesis 1 is giving us this idea of a, of a unity of God that he can't understand. The best, thing, best way he can explain it is Elohim. You know, when, when, when God you know, uh, says, let us make man in our image, he doesn't say, you know, I'm going to make man in my image. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Um, uh, but, yeah, so the character, though, of Elohim in the Bible is that he's, uh, you okay? Yeah, I got something in my eye. Oh. Was Flash Father in that thing? Yeah. Or you sink and just let it wash out? Thanks a lot, Judah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so in in the beginning, though, so even Elohim, oh man, uh, is is sovereign over all things. So it can't be a plurality of gods. He is sovereign over all things. In fact, even in in Exodus, in in the commandments, and we all know the Shema. Uh, you know, behold, oh, hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God is one. That's that's the Shema. But also in the commandments, remember, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And now a lot of these scholars will think that that means you can't have any uh, gods, you know, above him, more important than him. Uh, so you can still believe in other gods just as long as he's the top one. But what he's saying is there, shall, there must be no gods in my presence. That's what he means by before him. Now, where is his presence? Everywhere. Everywhere. He's omnipresent, so we must not have any other gods, period, okay? And the second commandment prohibits idolatry. So I can't see how you can assume that, that there's this plurality of gods and, and that he's suggesting it's fine to worship these other gods when in the second commandment, it says it's prohibiting that very thing. Um, in fact, the, the prophets of old used to, used to make fun of these people. Who would, who would make gods and, and worship these rocks and these trees who couldn't speak, who couldn't hear, who couldn't know anything. They're absolutely powerless, but they're, they're even worshiping things that they're making. 
They make a statue and then they bow down and worship to it. And so these prophets would just denigrate. They would deride them. Uh, and now, now that would suggest then maybe it didn't start until the prophets. However, uh, um, uh, Elijah in the Old Testament uh, goes against the prophets of Baal. And, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but basically they, they, they decide, you know, this is how we're going to prove that Baal isn't real and the God of Israel is. Uh, let's, let's set up an altar, you know, and put some wood on and everything. You call down on Baal and, you know, right, so he can rain down fire or, you know, create the fire. You know, you can't do anything yourself. You just got to pray to him. And they go all crazy. They're trying to do it. And he's making fun of them now. Maybe he can't hear you. Scream louder. All this kind of a thing. He's belittling them. He's just making fun of them. Remember, God in heaven laughs. We saw that in that psalm. Remember? God, God in heaven and, and keeps them in derision. Holds them in derision. And, and so Elijah's going, just laughing it up. And then it comes to be his turn and he pours water all over it. So the, the, the miracle that's about to happen is that much more incredible. That's, there's a lot there, and we'll consider that another time. But, and ultimately, he prays, prays to God one time, simple prayer, boom, fire. And then, because now all of the other prophets are considered false prophets, and you're immediately killed if you're a false prophet. And so everybody takes off, and they have to chase him. But anyway, so the prophets would, would uh, deride these people. Um, um, in fact, it's because of the overwhelming emphasis in the Bible that people will attack the Trinity. And again, we'll look at that uh, um, some other time. Because again, by the New Testament, we, we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. However, we also still see that we believe in one God. That's what they're, they still continue. They're not saying, you know, these are three gods. We still are monotheists. Mm -hmm. So we have to, the distinctions are essential, right? Uh, but um, it's not the essence of, or being of God. Uh, it's not a fragmentation kind of a thing. Um, so really, it's the idea of how can we bridge the monotheism of the Old Testament and that in the New. And that's what we're going to kind of start seeing uh, through the series. Um, and again, to go back to um, the mystery, and it, especially insofar as the mysteries of the Old Testament going into the New, Augustine said that the New is in the Old concealed, and the Old is in the New revealed. Oh. Great, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it puts it perfectly, it puts it succinctly. I love Augustine. In fact, we are going to conclude with, I, I've got to tell you, and, and I know, I know y'all know this, uh, but, uh, so when was he? Three hundreds. Yeah. And why was he involved with writing up about his faith? And well, he was a uh, big time here. Let me do this and then okay. we'll, we'll shut this down and then we can talk about Cause yeah, we can go forever about that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, book one, I'm just going to read the first chapter. I mean, it's not long. It's like don't say a paragraph. Saint Augustine. I don't, uh, but I consider him as, saint. yeah, saints are really all believers. I know they kind of uh, make these special all people these saints. saints, right? Saints are all believers. Um, so Augustine's no greater, I mean, he's definitely a greater man, but insofar as the eyes of God, I mean, he's not, you know, a greater right, Christian exactly. kind of a thing. Um, okay, so but this is book one. Uh, so what, what the confessions are is, is, is basically an autobiographical, autobiographical uh, prayer to God. The whole thing is, is, mm. is in prayer. So even when he's contemplating, uh, it's all in prayer. And I'm just going to start with chapter one. He considers many things 
even beyond this, I would just really encourage you to read this. I mean, apart from the Bible, this is probably my favorite book. He's got the city of God. I love the city of God. It might be a close second. Confessions is probably my favorite book. Okay. <clears throat> great art thou, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is thy power, and infinite is thy wisdom. He gets that from Psalms. And man desires to praise thee, for he is part of thy creation. He bears his mortality about uh, with him and carries the evidence of his sin and the proof that thou dost resist the, the proud. Still he desires to praise thee. This man who is only a, part, a small part of thy creation, thou hast prompted him that he should delight to praise thee. It's my favorite line. For thou hast made us for thyself and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. I love that line. Uh, grant me, O Lord, to know and understand whether first to invoke thee or to praise thee, whether first to know thee or call upon thee. But who can invoke thee, knowing thee not? For who, for he who knows thee not may invoke thee as another than, than thou art. Uh, it, may be, it may be that uh, we should invoke thee in order that we may come to know thee. But how shall they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe without a preacher? Now they shall praise the Lord who seek him. For those who seek him shall find him. And finding him shall praise him. I will seek thee, O Lord, and call upon thee. I call upon thee, O Lord, in my faith which thou hast given me which thou hast inspired in me through the humanity of thy son and through the ministry of thy preacher. So again, what he's talking about and what he does is contemplate who God is, how can we even talk about him, and he goes, quickly later goes on to, you know, how, how, how can I find a way to enter into thee, and how, do you, how, do, how, do thou, how does thou enter into myself? Do you just give me a piece of yourself? Because, you know, I, 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 I have, I, I'm not enough to contain all of you or do you contain everything holy and all this kind of stuff it, it, it's just brilliant but again it's these mysteries these these profound considerations that that many many christians wonder certain things and, and so there are there are many mysteries to christians that have been answered and it's just a matter of finding the answers okay so some of these are these mysteries have been more revealed it's just a matter of finding that information. Okay? All right. Oh, any questions before we go on to specifically talk about Augustine? I like how he says diary of a soul's journey. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's right. 